I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Marco Muzzo didn't get everything he wanted this week. After serving two years of a 10-year sentence, plus some time served, he met the parole panel and said he didn't think staying in prison would do him any more good. He said being in prison was difficult, terrifying, and he wanted immediate full parole. He was granted day parole, and full parole will come next May. Three years ago, it was September, he got off his private jet, just back from his bachelor party in Miami, got into his fast, powerful car, and drove home. But he didn't get all the way home. He ran a red light, or a stop sign. He ran into a minivan, killing three children and their grandfather, and injuring their grandmother and great-grandmother. His blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit. And this wasn't his first charge for his behavior while drunk. The parole panel has ordered rehab, but he says he won't go, as the late Amy Winehouse would have advised. Marco Muzzo said he went to a few meetings and sat down with the chaplain a couple of times. He's not an addict, but he is who he is and believes he's worth his share of his family's $1.8 billion. And the same cycle that brought news of Marco Muzzo reported that another convicted killer, Terry Lynn McClintock, has been moved back to prison from an indigenous healing lodge. Authorities, when pressed, quickly agreed that it was too soon to end her full incarceration and release her to another program. I think that was the right decision, but I believe that justice must be tempered with mercy. I don't believe it should be easier for a man, a white man, a wealthy white man, to be granted mercy just for the asking, because he is who he is. Now, I don't want to be accused of being partisan, but many people were shocked to learn of Tony Clement's behavior. I won't go into any detail, but he doesn't see anything wrong with his behavior, or at least it wouldn't have been wrong if he hadn't been caught. In his eyes, the crime is that somebody tried to blackmail him, and his friends have said it's not the first time. The crime is against him, because he is who he is. And what Marco Muzzo and Tony Clement share is an addiction. They are addicts. It's found mostly in men. It's addiction to privilege. Male privilege, white male privilege. And we see and hear it after the mass shootings. If the shooter is white, he must be sick and needs help. If the shooter is black, he's a race warrior and needs to be locked up. And if the shooter is brown, he's a terrorist. Now our gospel today begins when Jesus says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses. Now they believe they can do no wrong, 
But says Jesus, they will receive the greater condemnation in the kingdom to come. Then Jesus sits down and watches the crowd putting money into the treasury, and many rich people put in large sums. Now stop, stop there. I'm sure these rich, righteous men would, wouldn't say they were privileged. They might say they were blessed, but they believe their exalted status is theirs because of who they are. The people who are addicted to privilege just don't see it. What's the problem? And here comes a widow with her two copper coins to keep up the temple, especially the part of it where she isn't allowed to go to maintain the rituals that she can't attend. She puts everything she has in the collection box. While the men walk past her, their robes billowing in the breeze they create, on their way to see and be seen. Now, I know we are used to hearing this story of the widow's might and the least coin to encourage us to be good stewards and give sacrificially to the church. So great is her faith that she gives up everything she has to live on for the sake of God's holy place. But can you really imagine Jesus praising a poor woman for starving herself for the sake of the righteous religious establishment? The men who Jesus has just said devour widows' houses. I know we have a hard time, but can we just let Jesus be a little better? Maybe ironic? This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, she has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. A few minutes later, Jesus will tell one of his disciples, who is overawed by the temple, that despite all the offerings to that treasury, it will soon lie in ruins. And today we meet two more widows, two women who need help from a greatly privileged man. That's the way it is in their time. If Naomi and Ruth have any future, it must be with Boaz, a man who has prospered, a privileged man in the community. Naomi is creative and uninhibited, as people in her position, and Ruth's must be, desperate people. And Ruth has already caught the man's eye. Boaz has been compassionate and generous. And so Naomi, Naomi sends Ruth to climb into bed with Boaz. A bold move. Boaz, required by law to marry the widow of a relative, it's his duty, falls in love with Ruth. And when a closer relative shows up, Boaz still insists that he will marry Ruth, and that means taking Naomi into his home too. Boaz is in a position to give Ruth and Naomi, what widows need in ancient Judah, protection. So he'll provide a home, a future, because he is who he is. 
he does what's needed willingly and happily. A hundred years ago on this date and about 20 minutes ago, hostilities ended in Europe. It was the last gasp of the great empires of the 19th century. The Austro-Hungarian, German, and Ottoman empires joined in an effort to expand their respective territories because they had power, because they could, and because they were who they were. Two of those empires fell with the peace. A third was gone soon after. The British Empire and allies under its protection replied, propelling the world into a great war, a war to end all wars. The British Empire survived through another world war, diminished greatly, but ended peacefully, mostly. But in both world wars, Canadians, including indigenous Canadians, responded to a call to serve, to defend the English motherland and European motherlands and neighbors. And in the second war to end all wars, to check a tyranny that aimed to conquer the whole world. Now many said those wars were too far away to concern Canada. Canada is in a privileged position certainly was in the teens and 40s, still tied to the motherlands, but separated from them and their games of thrones by oceans. Yet they went. Hundreds of thousands of men and women. Numbers far beyond any reasonable portion of a still small population answering a call to duty, understanding that with privilege comes responsibility. Now we are proud of our rights and freedoms in Canada. Peace, order, and good government are ours according to the Charter. But surely we recognize in this world at this time the freedom to vote, the freedom to gather in religious assembly, the expectation of justice and security and peace these may be called the inherent rights of all on paper, but in today's reality, today's world, they are privileges. It's a privilege to be able to take for granted things billions of people can only imagine if they dare, and that's if they've even ever heard of them. With great privilege comes great responsibility, not simply to preserve our privileged place in the world. But our Western culture has changed since the era of the Great Wars. We've mostly turned away from any sense of collective responsibility toward the sovereignty of the individual. The privilege of wealth, the privilege of political power, the privilege of being white and male in North America, taken for granted by so many of those who have any or all of them. And this came home to me last week from a very strange place. My friend and former pastor will soon teach a course at Atlantic School of Theology. It's called Gender and Ministry. 
which I always thought was a course in feminist theology for women only. Now, my friend Linda, a feminist, acknowledges that the course has been limited to a feminist perspective, and it's true. The class will likely be made up mostly of women. Linda feels the students should encounter other perspectives. So she asked me to suggest men who write theology and write about ministry as men. Now, I'm woke enough to admit, as a man in ministry, that I have been, and sadly still am, privileged to be considered as of the norm. I'm just a minister. No adjective is required. My gender was an advantage, especially in my first 10 or 20 years in ministry. And it's still easier for a man in the Presbyterian Church or in any other church to advance from call to call as senior minister than it is a woman. In 2018, in so many places, including the church, men are still privileged to work, teach, write, and preach as persons, to set the norm. Women have to be conscious of their gender all the time, in the classroom, the boardroom, the pulpit. Now, men recognizing the privilege we enjoy as men, without a thought, Really, all of us, women and men together, recognizing that we are all together living in this country, still the privileged of this world. It doesn't require us to let go of everything we have and everything we are, though we remember today that sometimes the responsibility of the privileged can demand sacrifice. But privilege unrecognized is toxic to character. It's destructive of the planet and it's even deadly for others. It costs a lot to maintain always at the expense of others. Unrecognized privilege demands attention and asserts rights that are not rights, devours widows' houses, makes war, makes widows, consigns parents to a life sentence of emptiness, reduces women to objects of lust. Privilege unrecognized reinforces irresponsibility. Recognized, admitted, accepted privilege turns us toward accepting responsibility. And not just responsibility, but freedom to act and power to make things happen for the good of all. In this world where the most privileged among us sometimes act out of their addiction, betraying trust and doing great harm to others. It's helpful and healing to remember the women and men who have recognized the great privilege of living in Canada, taken up their responsibility. Now we're more accustomed to saying duty, but taking up their duty through great wars and lesser wars and police actions and peacekeeping assignments, and doing it for a good far greater than their own, or even Canada's. With great privilege comes great responsibility. <laughs>